0: Please remain standing and pray with me. Come Holy Spirit now. You have been so faithful every time the word has been preached from this holy desk, this pulpit, that you have been so faithful to show up and speak a word in our hearing. And we can trust you to continue that faithfulness today. So come, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would anoint me, the preacher of the word, with the, with the ability to speak clearly uh, the things of God. And I pray for us as the, ca- the people of God gathered in this place, that you would grant us the ability to receive your good news, Lord, and to live it out in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Listen to those verses, two bookend verses that were in the gospel lesson that we just heard from Matthew chapter 4. Listen again. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went throughout all Galilee. This is the second verse of that same type, the second part of that bookend passage. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus came. This is the beginning of his ministry in Matthew's gospel. And here it says that Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then he goes about the process of populating that kingdom by bringing men and women into it. So before we can hear anything else in the passage of Scripture we've just heard, we need to talk about what this kingdom of God is. What is this thing? Kingdom of heaven is, Matthew tends to speak of the kingdom of God by calling it the kingdom of heaven. It is a Hebraism, a way of avoiding saying the name of God in that phrase, but it means exactly the same thing. So what does it mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? Well, if you have been here long enough, you have heard me say, This phrase, the kingdom of God is the world the way that God meant it. Be the kingdom of God is the world the way that God meant it to be. First of all, it is a kingdom in which we are in a loving and life giving relationship with the King. That's uh, that right relationship means that we also, deriving from that, also are in right relationship with the other people God has brought into His kingdom. And it means that we begin to experience it. This is critical. We begin to experience life itself as the way. It was meant to be. And that's why Matthew recounts this. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. What does that mean? Well, it means this. God never intended for there to be human sickness and suffering. And so, one of the signs that God's kingdom is breaking in, that it is becoming a reality, is that these things that are ab- abhorrent to God's plan and abnormal to God's kingdom are being overturned. And it's not, so it's not just about this. It's not about curing people so much as it is about demonstrating the new reality that God is bringing about in the world through Jesus Christ. So when we see demons cast out in the gospel, when we see the, uh, the those who are afflicted and those who are ill, when we see them healed, what we are seeing is God restoring to right that which sin has made wrong. In other words, the Genesis 3 world that our fall from, from the love of God created back in the garden is being overturned now in the person of Jesus Christ so that this new reality is beginning to break through. We see those signs of the kingdom over and over and over again. We see things like Jesus feeding the 5,000. What in the world is that about? Well, here's one of the things that it is about, is that God's kingdom is not a kingdom of scarcity, but of abundance. And it is an abundance that comes from God. So God is bringing in a new reality through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ embodies the kingdom of God. You want to know what the world is supposed to be like? Well, just look at Jesus. And in order to enter this kingdom, it means coming into a relationship with the one who embodies the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom comes in undivided wholeness in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, he is the king. And you cannot experience the kingdom without knowing and loving and submitting to the king. There is no way for anyone to fully experience what God truly meant life to be. This is a bold statement. It is not a statement accepted by society, but this is what we believe. There is no way for anyone to fully experience what God truly meant human life to be apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And the way that Jesus has determined to spread the good news about this new reality is by enlisting ordinary people to be a part of his great mission. And so, here in the gospel text, we heard he called fishermen to follow him, and he told them that he would make them fish for people. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now here's the first thing that I want you to notice in that passage right there in that scripture I just read. When Jesus calls anyone to follow him, he calls them into the great project of bringing other people into God's kingdom. And that has not changed. To follow Jesus is to be about the mission of bringing others into relationship with God. There is no exception for this. Every follower of Jesus is a part of this great venture. And there was not one seminary student among all of that crowd of fishermen. Not one. You know, I, I, One of the great. Uh, I. One of the great. Unintended bad consequences of having a a trained and educated clergy is that people think that the Christian life and the Christian mission is now supposed to be in the hand of experts. Well, that's not the case. First of all, I'm not sure that I could claim to be an expert about anything. No, not anything. (laughs) But here's the deal, is that God's most effective mission happens through the ordained, listen, order. You know, it's an order, therefore there's an ordination involved of the laity. Lay people are ordained by God to be the number one means of spreading his kingdom. I don't remember getting ordained. That's because some of you were an infant when we stuck you in the water. That was your, when you were baptized and they pronounced the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit over you, and if you got chrismated too, which means we smear you with oil, and at Christ Church we don't do anything by half measures, we grease them up real good. They're thoroughly wet and really greasy. You have been ordained into this kingdom mission of spreading the good news of God's kingdom in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. And if God calls us, he equips us. You already have, supernaturally on board by the person and power of the Holy Spirit, everything you need now to fulfill this mission. You just didn't know you did it. You didn't know you had it. God is faithful. He just said, Peter, Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you are following him, he makes you a fisher of men. It is his good will to equip us. Now, the second thing I want you to notice in that passage is that there is a sense of urgency involved in being a fisher of men. After Peter and Andrew received their call to follow Jesus, here's what happened. Verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. These men immediately walked away from the family business and even family relationships because the mission we have been given is so urgent." And since this is of ultimate importance, it means that following Jesus will typically mean leaving our comfort zone. These first followers of Jesus model that. They all left their occupations to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't call most of us to leave an occupation, but instead to make him the Lord of our occupation as we do it now for him. The point here is not that Christ calls us to leave our jobs to follow him, but that He, but that our occupations become our mission field. Sometimes he does call us to sell everything we have and go on the mission field, and that's a wonderful thing. But most of the time, he just transforms what we're already doing into the mission field into which he calls us. But following Jesus in this way does have an economic impact on our life. It certainly did for these guys. They left the family business, and for James and John to leave their father in the boat was a scandalously counter-cultural action in a society in which one's family was the source of identity and honor. So somehow in the kingdom, when we take up this mission, we are saying we will receive our identity and our sense of worth and value from a different category than we did previous to this. And that different category is that we are following Jesus and he bestows upon us our sense of identity and our sense of purpose and value. Beloved, we cannot follow Jesus Christ and remain in comfortable lock, lockstep with our peers who are not following Jesus, living our lives as business as you, usual. If we are to take research uh, from the Pew Research and from other um, sources of information, uh, if we are to take those things seriously, it seems that there are between 20 and 22% of the uh, population in, in the United States that are convictional followers of jesus christ that's a religious minority in case you didn't get the numbers 20 to 22 percent of the people who actually live this out actually go to church actually feel like they're part of this mission actually live their lives in concert with the scriptures and that being the case we are by definition going to be out of step with our culture if we genuinely follow Christ in our post-Christian culture, we will stand out. Now, here's the thing that every one of us as followers of Jesus has to ask if this is the case. In the in the whole context of the kingdom of God, the mission of bringing others into the kingdom, knowing that that may have an economic impact on us, knowing that that may have relational impact on us, here's the question that every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ has to ask. Is—this is so important— Is Jesus Christ really enough for me? Is knowing and loving and following Jesus Christ really enough for me? This is the question I have been wrestling with, particularly this week. If following Jesus means giving up a relationship, or economic security, or... Pleasure or pastime? Do I really believe that Jesus is enough, and that He will honor His promise in Matthew six thirty three? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek ye first, uh, or in other words, seek y'all first, <laughs> the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you as well." In other words, do I believe that if I make Christ the first and most important thing in my life, that all the other things that I really hope for, long for, and need will be met and fulfilled in Him? I can tell you right now that one of the saddest things for me in pastoral ministry, and it happened just this past week, is when people count the cost and say, no, actually, Jesus is not enough for me. I pray, God, that I will never say that. You will be offered an enticing buffet of, of everything the world, the, the pomp and the empty pleasures of the world. I mean, it's just like any other buffet. Nobody's ever proud of themselves after they go to it. <laughs> You'll be offered an enticing buffet to say, take this instead of Jesus. But Jesus is enough. And no matter what vain pomps and splendors the enemy would offer us, they ultimately do not fulfill. They actually lead to destruction. The last thing I want you to notice is that Jesus uses the analogy of fishing to describe what these followers will be doing. And this is critical because it is built actually into the very mission statement of Christchurch. Christchurch, by the grace of God, Christ Church is a church in the Anglican tr- uh, tradition dedicated to winning the lost to Jesus Christ. That is the very first thing we say in our mission statement when we talk about our actions. Winning the lost to Jesus Christ. Christ, making authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, and sending disciples out for transformational ministry in the world. I lived in a fishing village for four years at the beginning of my ministry. Uh, that was back from 1991 uh, to ninety-five in a little village here on the outer banks of North Carolina called Atlantic. Not Atlantic Beach. No, that would have been different. Atlantic <laughs> And one of the things I did was go out all night with a fisherman and work on his boat. And I learned some things about fishermen at that point. First of all, fishing is work. (laughs) Fishermen mean to fish. It is an intentional activity. People who fish do not expect to go out and have fish just jump in their boat. If you've ever seen one of those videos on YouTube where the guy's going down the river, you know, in the boat and the fish are jumping in and hitting him in the head, fishermen are surprised when fish jump in the boat. They never expect that to happen. It requires intentionality. But the reality is that a lot of the way the church often acts is as if we expect the fish to jump into the boat. Now, sometimes they do. And I'm always surprised when that happens. I mean, I have actually said, it's not something the pastor should say to a newcomer, but I have actually said this, like, why are you here? (laughs) And I don't mean it to sound that way. What I mean to say is, oh, I'm so glad you found Christchurch. How did you hear about us? But actually, it has come out before. Why are you here? (laughs) That makes you feel all welcome. (laughs) Fisher folk mean to catch fish. They are not just hoping it will happen. They plan for it. They work at it. And that's what I want us to do today because I believe that back last year, God gave us a, one of the one of the things that he did last year when he gave us our emphasis for this year was to give us a plan to catch fish. And I want to unpack that. Back at our annual meeting in November, I introduced what I believe was God's leading us to emphasize in the year 2017. We are to lean. Lean into prayer this year. And so the model uh, or the motto for this year for Christ Church is Christ Church, a praying church. And of course, that begs the question, what in the world does that mean? And for the next 12 months, we're unfolding what that means. And remember at that time, I said this. I said that uh, un- unlock, like what some of us have been taught, prayer is activism. Prayer, you know, well, yeah, you can pray all you want to, but you've got to do something. No. Prayer is doing something. When we pray, we are engaging in activism. Because when we say, yeah, you can pray, but you need to put feet on your prayers, yes, there are times when Christ calls us to take a certain action along with our prayer. But most of the time when we say, yeah, but you've got to put feet on your prayers. Because that's how it's said. Yeah, but you've got to put feet on your prayers. <laughs> When we say that, what we really mean is we don't believe God's going to do a thing. We don't believe that God's going to do a thing. In fact, we're pretty sure he's not. So you might want to curtail that prayer time. Get off your knees and go do something worthwhile. I am here to tell you and remind you today as your pastor that prayer is doing something. Prayer is activism. We, it, prayer itself is action. So what I invited you to do, and what I want to invite you to do, I invited you to start a prayer journal. That's something that I've done, in which we are recording our prayers as we offer them up to God, and then we're recording how God answer them, answers them, and throughout the year, there are going to be opportunities for us to share how God has answered prayer. Another way that we're doing this is there's a jar, of a small jar of, of pretty, uh, pebbles over here. at pretty, uh, pretty pebbles. I know how I sound. Uh, and, you, and when God answers a prayer, we, take, we can take a little pebble out of that and put it in the big jar, and we have a visual reminder of God's faithfulness in answering a prayer. But in my prayer journal, what I did in my prayer journal was this. I have about 17 or 18 things when I started this prayer journal that I, had, I have no ability to do anything about. In other words, there, you, can go, you can just put to rest right now that idea. Well, you've got to put feet on your prayers. I don't care how many feet you put on these prayers. I can't make it happen. There's no way I can fix any of this. And so I just need God to show up and be God in those areas where I have no way to do anything. And do I really believe that he'll do that? So I began to journal those prayer requests, and I'm beginning to, to, to record how God is answering those prayer requests. Here is the fishing strategy I want us to use today. I want us to practice some prayer activism. If you brought your prayer journal with you this morning, first of all, I want you to put your name on the inside cover because you're going to need it back because I want you to be able to find it after we, we we pray over these things. But I want you to print your name on the inside cover. And then I want you in your prayer journal to write down five people in your journal that you would ask God to bring into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ in 2017. If you didn't bring your prayer journal, take one of those pew cards there, the connect cards and on the back where you write your prayer request, just write out five names. Well, if I can't think of five names. Okay as many as you can or I can think of 500 people we'll pick at least five and then maybe you can add a few more but go ahead and write those right now as I'm talking to you write those five names on the back of a connect card or in your prayer journal I'm going to give us a couple of minutes to write down these five names and then I'm going to ask Deacon Jesus and I think I'm going to ask Mr. Chris Bora and to go and collect those you just pass them towards the center aisle i'm going to ask them yes right now in the service we're going to collect those cards we're going to collect those journals and we're going to place them here on this altar and we're going to pray over them and we're going to cry out to god to bring these friends relatives acquaintances and neighbors into a saving relationship with jesus christ in 2017 listen using whatever means god sovereignly chooses we're going to pray for him. To, you can just put their Christian name, their first name, which would kind of be appropriate to put their Christian name on it. Um, just You don't have to give them a big identifier uh, or like their address. You know, We're not putting a hit out on them. We're just going to pray for them. So write those five names down. We're going to ask God to bring those people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ in 2017 using whatever means he sovereignly chooses. And we're going to pray over them right now. And then after the service, I want you to collect your prayer journal or your card. And from now until December 31st, I want us to pray for these individuals to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I cannot wait to see how God answers these prayers. And then after the service is over, after we're through, you can come up here and you can take your prayer journal or your Connect card home. Do you know what the most... Common remark made to me on the day uh, I accepted Christ at the Little Methodist Church I grew up in when I was 16 years old. What was the most common remark that was made to me that day? Well, the most common remark after that service was people that, I, I hate to say it, I've never been really good with names, but a, a lot of, and a lot of these people were old people, so they weren't like real people to me. When you're 16, it's like, you know, oh, oh there's, there's me, and there's my peers, and then there are old people, and I don't know what they do. <laughs> and, uh, but these people who came up to me and said, uh, we have been praying for you for years to come to know Jesus. God answers the, that kind of prayer. He will answer these prayers. Prayer is the engine of evangelism. Prayer is the engine of evangelism. So right now, I'm going to give you another minute to, to write that those names down, and I'm going to pray for us right now, and then I'm going to ask Jesus and, and uh Chris, to go and collect those cards in just a moment. Let me pray for these cards. Lord, we come now before you. We ask that you would bring to our remembrance anyone else that we might have forgotten that you would have us pray for for the next 300 and uh, some odd days to come to know you as Lord and Savior in 2017. Lord, uh, put those names on our hearts and in our minds right now and help us, Lord, to be faithful to pray for these people. And to trust you to be the one who sovereignly acts to bring them into relationship with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus and Chris, would you go and just pass those cards and those journals to the middle if you have that. And then after those are collected, I'll ask Deacon Jesus to bring them up here. And then, uh, right when we ha- right after the offering, right when we're about to go into Holy Communion, we're going to pray. We're going to lay. I'm going to lay hands on those. Uh, our Father Keith is, and I'm going to stand beside him. And we're going to pray over these journals and these cards for God's power to bring these people into relationship with Him. And so, and there they go. There's one more. All right, brothers, if you'll bring those up here. And if you would, just place them right here on the altar. Thank you. All right. Let's stand now at this time and offer the faith that we share in Christ through the words of the Nicene Creed.